Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Already got it wrong. You weren't designed to roar, you were designed to soar. We're going to see that over these next four weeks. Um, I hope some of the things we see will not only stir and challenge you, but convict and move you. And I hope not only you, but the men in your life too, that recognize who you were designed to be, what, what plan God has for you, and, and how that needs to be lived out in your life. Um, let me just open with this question. You, you, you don't have to answer out loud. In fact, please don't um, because it, the answers may scare us. But ladies, from whom or what do you get your value? In essence, what do you allow to define you? What has defined you? What has told you this is who I am, this is what my life is supposed to be about? Sadly, and we're going to see this unfold a little more, sadly our culture is trying to redefine women. And in fact, as I shared in this week's E-News, I feel sorry for women. I really do because you got to be the perfect wife, the perfect mom, the perfect employee, the perfect, uh, you know, nothing at the house is out of place. There's no dust anywhere. There's no, no dirty laundry laying anywhere. you got to have a perfect home. And, and all the while you got to look like Heidi Klum in the process of this or, or, or else you're, you're some inferior female. And our culture is just wrong about that. And the sad truth is that many women, many believing women who call themselves Christians, get sucked into that very vortex, and they find themselves, what am I supposed to be? Who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? We're going to see, see four different attributes from four different women in the Scripture over these next four weeks. Today, we're going to look at the life of Hannah. And I had, uh, I had Chris share that testimony with you because what we're going to see here above all else is she was a, a woman of tenacious prayer. And she, she knew the power of it and believed in it. And, uh, and that is the power source. Let me, let me share these words with you from a, from a godly woman. The pressures or problems in our life in, in, in making wise decisions in that we need divine power. In order to obtain it, we first must ask for it, James 1, 5, James 1, 5 says. What, what's this power like? It's a supernatural energy that comes from those who have yielded to God's plan. It is the identical power we see in the work of Jesus Christ who resisted Satan's temptations, raised Lazarus from the dead, and chose God's will over his own. This divine power is what uh, prods Christians, prods Christ-like character in us. It is neither a power to be harnessed nor one that we can turn on and turn off at will. The power belongs to the Holy Spirit who knows when to use it in our lives. One of the primary ways he utilizes it is, is to bring forth spiritual fruit in Christians' lives. The Spirit knows that unbelievers will be attracted to Christ in us. When they see believers demonstrating an inner quietness and steadfastness, that's the, that's the exact opposite and of the typical human reaction. When spiritual fruit is revealed in our lives, it's like shouting the message, Jesus is real. Divine power gives us the authority as well as the spiritual energy to carry out God's plan. The Holy Spirit releases His power in us so that our lives glorify God and demonstrate the truth of the gospel that God does rescue people and transforms their lives through Christ. 
Won't we yield to the Spirit's control so that He may put His dynamic power to work in our lives and in our situations? If we relinquish our frailties to God's Spirit, then His power will be released so that we can stand firm. We'll be able to resist Satan's temptations. The Holy Spirit also labors to produce godly actions through the gifts He has given us. There's work for us to do in God's promises, in His Spirit. He'll give us all we need to accomplish it. The key that unlocks the door is divine power is surrender. Those are words from a, a godly lady by the name of June Parker, uh, who ladies would do good to follow after. Let's look at this text together uh, from, from 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to see this story unfold. And as it unfolds here, I think you're going to see some of the things I read, some of the things Chris shared with you start to take place here in the life of Hannah. So I, I don't want to cut this story short. Let's read these entire first 20 verses here. There was a certain man from Ramatham and a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elehu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. After or year after year, this man went up from his town of worship, from his town to worship, and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Phinehas, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you only will look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant." But give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked. For a wicked woman, I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. uh, She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived, gave birth to a son, She named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked of the Lord. Now, as you read on into chapter, uh, the latter part of chapter 1, you see this story unfold of her fulfilling her promise and taking Samuel back to the temple, giving him before Eli. But I think there are four among several more, probably, but at least four characteristics in her that I think every woman will be wise to see and glean and put in place. The first is this, that she was a woman of great vulnerability. Of, of emotional vulnerability. Look at verses 4 and 5, or, or I'm sorry, 6 and 7 together. Um, 
And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Now, this whole idea of, of it being year after year, it probably literally means year after year after year after year after year. Hannah kept being provoked by Penina, the, the, uh, Elkanah's other wife, to the point of tears and to the point of distraught, to, to the point of being downtrodden. Uh, so this wasn't a moment of vulnerability for her. It was a pattern of vulnerability year after year. This is the way she, she exposed herself willingly, didn't lash back out at Penina, but exposed herself willingly to, to the ridicule of Elkanah's other wife, Penina. There's a great lesson in that, ladies. Instead of lashing out, instead of coming from a sense of entitlement, we are to come to God and to live in front of him and in front of others with this sense of vulnerability. Um, in fact, her vulnerability spoke to, spoke to Elkanah. Look in verse 5, what he says, But Hannah gave, to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. That vulnerability was not only obedient to God, it was attractive to her husband. It made her husband even desire her even more and love her even more and express that to her even more, as you see in verse 5. But the, the key thing here is that she doesn't respond in anger. She responds in vulnerability. She, she responds in submission. What anger would have said, had she responded in anger, was that Hannah felt some sense of entitlement. Hannah felt that, that God owed her a son, that God owed her something, that, that, that she was due something because here's Penina, Elkanah's other wife, and she's, she's got multiple daughters and sons. What's the matter with me? God, why, why have you not shined on me? You, I'm, I'm due this. I owe this. Anger oftentimes comes out of a, of a heart that feels entitled, of a heart that feels like it's due something. Ladies, let me just be as honest with you as I can about this. There is nothing at all attractive about an angry woman. There's just not. And, and in fact, uh, but there are a lot of angry woman, women in our, in our culture. I was having a conversation uh, not long ago with Hannah. And she, she, in, in living in Nashville for several years, she uh, got to go to a bunch of... Con- she has a good friend that she grew up in elementary school with who's a songwriter and singer and, and an artist in her own right and uh, a member of the Pistol Annies. And... and uh, and so they, they, would, they would get together and, and, and eat dinner and stuff occasionally. And so she kind of got some insight into, into the behind-the-scenes look in the music business. And, and not only as a part of the Pistol Annies, but, but uh, Ashley is a, is, a, is a songwriter and has written a lot of songs from Miranda Lambert uh, that she's recorded and, and had, had several number one hits with her. And I, and I asked Hannah one time, I said, you know, she asked, she, Dad, what do, you, what do you think about, we, we were talking about music and about Miranda Lambert. She said, what do you think about Miranda Lambert? I said, well, honey, and if you're Miranda Lambert fans, please don't be offended at this, at what I'm about to say. But I said, honey, she's got a great voice. She's a good singer, but she's a mad, mad woman. I mean, most of her songs are, they just come out in anger. They come out with, you know, how dare me? How dare you wrong me? And, 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 and women are wronged, and I, I get that. I understand all of that. But there, there is, there is, there's enough audience to buy that kind of music to where it tells me there's a lot of angry women that are, that are being reinforced and affirmed by an angry song about men or about life or about whatever else. And the lesson here that, that we clearly need to see, ladies, is that, and it's hard. I know this, is, this, this continually vulnerable stuff is hard to do, to yield my will to what God is up to and to what even this situation demands rather than being angry and entitled and saying, I'm do this, God. How dare you not step in, into my life and bless me the way you blessed her? How dare you not do that? 
That was attractive to Elkanah. In fact, he gives, gives her a double portion and affirms her in doing that. Um, but ladies, I want you to hear this, and I'll reaffirm this at the close of the message. You weren't designed for anger. You were designed to be loved, not to be angry. If you're loved well, you won't be angry either. Now, whether that looks like your parents, your spouse, uh, a friend, if you're loved well, anger, anger finds its, it, it has a hard time finding its way into your life. If you're not, boy, it's an easy culprit. It finds its way, it weaves its way into anything it can, it can find. And, and the outgrowth of that is, if I'm not loved well, I'm going to be angry. If I'm loved well, I won't. Here's what I want you to see. Not only did her husband love and affirm her well, we're going to find out how much God loves her here in just a minute. She realized she was loved, and she didn't lash out in anger. She was obedient to, to that whole situation. She was not only a woman of, of emotional vulnerability, but verses 9 to 11 tell us she was a woman of cultural conviction. A woman of cultural conviction. Look at what he says. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in shallow, Hannah stood up. And now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair beside the door of the Lord's temple. And in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you'll look only upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Hannah stood up here in a man's domain and wept and prayed. This was not only forbidden and, and taboo in Jewish culture, it was extremely forbidden in church. Women just didn't do that. They didn't do it in Jewish culture, period. They didn't do it at home. They didn't stand up and pray at home and say, God, I'm crying out to you. They kept to themselves and kept quiet in Jewish culture. In fact, they were, they were punished because of it if they did something otherwise. So this not only wasn't done in culture, it certainly wasn't done at church. That was a man's world, a place where men only led, men only prayed, men only uh, chanted, men only recited Scripture. And so here is Hannah going to Shiloh here and standing up in the middle of the meeting and starting to weep and pray and say, God, crying out to God. And I'm going to tell you, she, she realized that this, this conviction she had was stronger than the culture she was in, that her, that her conviction about... about sensing that God wanted to bless her with a son, and if she were to cry out to him, that conviction in her heart, the truth that he had placed there, was far stronger than her surroundings. It was far stronger than her culture. Great lesson in that, ladies. That there, there needs to be a steadfastness of faith with us. Um, women think they were liberated when they were given the right to vote, you know, in suffrage. Or think they were liberated in the 60s. Um, liberation occurred long before that. It, it occurs here in 1100 B.C. When Hannah stands up in, in the middle of a, of a culture that, that is, that it's not anti-women. It's just that wasn't done. And it, it wasn't as, as if she was going to go out and get 40 lashes for doing it, but it just wasn't done. And so here she stands up against the culture and against the, the, the mores of the day to say, I'm crying out to God regardless of who hears, regardless of who sees. And there was a boldness in her faith um, that we're going to find here later becomes contagious. But she makes this, this very public vow uh, that was very un- uncharacteristic of women. And uh, in this prayer, though, she knew what was in her control and what was out of her control. What was in her control was to make this vow to God. What was out of her control was to get a son. That was totally in God's hands. And she lays that in God's hands as a part of this prayer, as you see. And she, so she promises that I'll give him back to the Lord. <clears throat> And it's not, God bless me with a son, and uh, if you bless me with a son, and if he's good enough, and, and, and if, if, if life works enough for me, and it, maybe if you give me a second and third, I'll give one to you. No. She said, I'm going to give him right back to you. 
And she, she, she makes this vow publicly to God in front of others as some level of accountability as well, I'm sure, but makes this vow to God in front of others, stamping a, stamping a, a sense of here's what I believe God to say and here's what I believe God wants me to do. She stands up to say that and do that. And as I say, not only makes herself vulnerable, but issues this, this statement of conviction. What's the lesson here? It's this, ladies. God is using Hannah here to illustrate that a woman's sense of security, a woman's sense of security, her sense of value, her sense of assurance, comes not from control, but from conviction. Our culture's telling you something else. Our culture's telling you that the more, you, the more that's in your control, the more, the more fingers you have in the pie, the more, the, the more strings you're, the more plates you're spinning, the more control you have over your situation. And that's something totally different from what we see here. What gave Hannah assurance? What gave her confidence? was this sense of conviction that God had placed on her heart, not the level of things she had, not the, the things she had control over, the things she was manipulating and trying to make work in her life. She, she totally stepped back from that, as we see here. She didn't lash out at Penina. She didn't lash out at God. Didn't lash out at Eli anywhere. She just stands to say, God, here's what I believe you say to me, and I'm going to say it publicly to you. And so her conviction was what gave her confidence and assurance, not, not the, the things in the world that she had some, some sense of control over. As I've shared with you before, and we went back to, to Genesis 3 to look at this, but one of the, one of the, and it starts in the garden and goes all the way through Scripture and all the way through life and through every generation, that women's greatest struggle, I believe, one of them, one of, one of women's greatest struggle is the need for control. Why? Because what I can control, I can gain, gain some security and confidence in, even if I don't like the outcome. If I know the outcome ahead of time, I can prepare for it. And not knowing the outcome, that's where I get insecure. That's where I get scared. And Hannah here says, Control isn't it. It's conviction. It's understanding what God has called me to, understanding what he's placed on my heart, and me having enough conviction to go against the total norm of our culture, to stand up in the middle of church, in the middle of a public place, and say, here's what I believe God's saying to me. What an incredible heart of conviction that moved her. Thirdly, not only is she a woman of emotional vulnerability and cultural conviction, but she is a woman, and this dovetails with Chris's testimony, she's a woman of persistent prayer. Look at verses 12 to 14. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but no voice was heard. Eli thought she was drunk. He said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. She kept on, these three, three words, she kept on praying, kept on praying. In essence, to say, this is not something that, that was a, um, well, it's like this, ladies. When you pray once about something, or twice, or three times, that's something you do. When you pray continually about something, that's who you are. You're, you're, you're a person of persistent prayer. Is, and, and that's my question for you today as we, as we get on this point of persistent prayer. Is that a pattern in your life or is it the exception to the rule? Do you pray in crisis or do you pray in faith? Do you pray when something happens and I, I cry out to God that, to fix this? The, 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 there's so much wrong in my life and I can't control this. I have, no, I have no ability to manipulate this and make this work. God, make this work. Or... Is, is, is prayer a pattern to where, where, whether it's blessing, whether it's Christ, I'm still going to God. <laughs> and I'm still saying, you're still good. And I know you're up to something. Even though I don't get it, I don't understand it today, I know you're up to something. Why? Because your word says so. And so I'm walking with you, and I'm staying with you, and I'm hanging on to you, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you as a pattern of prayer, as a lifestyle, not as something we do, but as who we are. And that's exactly what she was doing. She wasn't praying out of convenience, because <laughs> it certainly wasn't convenient. In, in, in that setting where she was. She was praying out of conviction. So, 
In fact, it was so bold and so radical that Eli thinks she's drunk. <laughs> and he says, you know, what's this deal? I mean, you stand up and pray, which is totally unheard of and totally probably inappropriate here in the, here in, in the, in the temple. And then you stop praying out loud and your lips are still moving. And so what's, what's going on? He'd never seen anything like that at all. Never seen a, probably a woman stand up and pray in church for one thing. And then she stops praying and her lips, she's praying to herself, continuing in the spirit of prayer. He said, what's up with that? Oh, you, you need to put the wine down, girl. You've been, there, there's, there's too much going on, too many things at play. She said, no, 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 I'm not crazy. This is God. I'm, this is, I'm praying out of a heart of anguish, she says to him here. I'm anguishing before the Lord. This is serious stuff to me. It's, not, it's, not, it's no joke. I didn't come looped out of my mind. I came with a heart that's burdened and a heart that's anguished. And so there's this idea, and she talks about anguish in verse 16. So there's this idea of persistent prayer being a lifestyle for Hannah, not being something she decided to come to the temple one day and do. It was the outgrowth of what she had already been doing assuredly over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we go back to those earlier verses, year after year after year after year, she was barren and taking the brunt of Panina's ridicule. You know what that turns you to do? Turns you to pray. That's what it did to her. She starts saying, God, and, and, and makes it public here in the temple, will you bless your servant? Will you remember your servant? Will you hear her today and remember her? She was a person of persistent prayer, ladies. The reason I've read to you from the, the writings of my mom, because my mom was a person of persistent prayer and knew the power of God because of the prayer to God. So she experienced that. And I, and I tell you, based on her counsel and based on uh, the fact that I'm glean, I stand here today gleaning from it, uh, be a person of persistent prayer if you want to see God's power working in your life. Be a person of persistent prayer. Fourthly, and finally, she was a person of spiritual transparency. Look at verses 15 and 16. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. She says here in, in this verse 15, I'm deeply troubled. My heart is deeply troubled. I don't come here out of some sense of, of entitlement. Or I don't come here to, to get a bunch of men's attention in a place that's, men, that's dominated by males. That's not why I came here. I came here to pray because I'm deeply troubled, and, and I want God to hear me in this time and in this place, and, and I don't care who, who hears that or who sees that. Um, it was shocking <laughs> in that situation, um, and, and she was okay with that. Um, we're usually concerned, though, uh, the reason it's shocking, and probably shocking to these guys, and would be shocking to us if we were living in that time, is that we're usually concerned and we're conditioned by our culture to be concerned more about appearance than we are about authenticity. And she blew that out of the water. She was totally unconcerned about appearance and more was concerned about being real and being honest and being transparent before God than being approved of men and seeing this idea that, that my appearance matters and, and what is thought of me and the, the, the impressions that people have of me are far more important than that. Um, Eli was probably taken aback by this, as, as we can see by his response and, and, and things she's drinking. Of course, he had never seen anything like that before, likely, uh, much less a woman do that in public, uh, be either that tenacious or, or, or that honest, both, to be that transparent. Um, but ladies, one of the most refreshing things you can do is to be authentic in a world full of fakes. That's one of the most refreshing things you can be and do is to be real and be authentic in a world that's full of fakes, fake body parts, fake tans, uh, you know, fake eyelashes, fake. In a world full of fakes, one of the most attractive things you can be is real, is authentic. 
who God wired you and designed you to be. And that's exactly who she is here. Um, Here's one thing I want you to get, though, as we kind of wrap up this idea of transparency. This was a place, although it's culturally taboo, this was a place where Hannah felt safe to be herself and stand up and be real and be in front of whoever. Ladies, you need a safe place where you can pour your heart out to God. I hope Crosspoint is a safe place for you. I hope your home is a safe place for you. In fact, I even hope your work is a safe place for you. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But every woman needs a safe place to pour her heart out to God and pour her heart out to others. Now, the best and most ideal situation that God set up is the home. If you're not in a, if you're, if you're, if your spouse is not, if your husband's not a safe person to pour that out to, shame on him. Send him to me, let me talk to him. Because there needs to be that, there needs to be a safe environment where you can pour your heart out, both to him and to God. And there needs to be those safe places in women's lives. If they don't find it at home, they'll find it someplace else. They'll look for it someplace else. Why? Because every woman longs to be known and every woman longs to be loved. And so if there's a safe place for, that, for, for, for me to make that known, to make myself and my heart's desire and, and the, the deep seedings of her soul, she says, my soul's deeply troubled. I cry out in anguish. If there's a place where, if there's a place where I can't be honest, I'm going to continue to seek that because it's wired in every woman to want that and to need that. Great lesson for that, guys, and us, and that is you need to create that kind of environment for the, lady, for the, women, for the woman or for the women, even the daughters, in your life, you need to create that kind of environment where it's safe, and they know whatever you, whatever they share with you is locked away. If it needs to be locked away and never, never to see the light of day, they know that that's a safe place, and they know that, that whatever they cry out to you, whatever wh- whatever vulnerability they expose themselves to you is going to be okay, and it's going to stay with you, and and nobody else will ever know that. There needs to be a safe place for that, um, and <laughs> here is a safe place for for Hannah in public. I mean, she comes to church, and every church should be that. Not only for every woman, but for every man, for every individual. There needs to be a safe place for us to cry out to God, regardless of what people think, regardless of their impressions, regardless of their opinions. I hope you feel Crosspoint to be that place. I hope you feel like you can worship transparently here. I hope you feel like you can share with each other transparently here, to share prayer needs with each other and pray, invest in each other's lives in a transparent way, in an authentic authentic way. I hope this is a safe place. But if it's not, I'm providing bad leadership. And, and some of the folks that are in your life are providing, bad, are providing bad relationship. But there needs to be a safe place where we can come together and pour our heart out. And she, she sensed that. You know, she didn't ask permission to say, can I stand up and pray? She just says, I'm convicted by God that I need to pour my heart out to him. And that's what she does. In a, as I said, in a totally inappropriate, culturally at least, way. Didn't bother her. She felt safe there. She felt God was there and leading her to be obedient and do what she did. So... What's the takeaway from this, ladies? Well, I hope beyond these four things of emotional vulnerability, cultural conviction, persistent prayer, and spiritual transparency is that, <clears throat> and we talked a little bit earlier about appearance, and I want to, I want to encourage you as we close here with, with a couple of thoughts. Most women are discontent with how they look. They just are. Either their, their nose is too big, their eyes are out of place, their mouth is, or their, you know, whatever. At some level, most women are discontent with how they look. You know why I know that? Because I've lived with three of them, and I grew up with three more. And, I, and so th- there's, there's, there's always this desire to, 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 to be prettier, to, and I'm somehow inadequate because I'm not perfect, because I don't look perfect. And I'm going to tell you, every bit of that's from the enemy. That's exactly where that comes from. But 
changing that, changing that idea of self-image, it doesn't start on the outside. It doesn't start with a spray on tan or it doesn't start with, it starts on the inside. Changing the image of what, how you see yourself, what you see when you look in the mirror starts on the inside. If it starts on the outside, it never stops on the outside. <clears throat> Excuse me, if it starts on the outside, it never stops on the outside. It continues to go from that to this, to that, to the other thing. If it starts on the inside, the outside will, will become irrelevant, and there'll be a beauty on the outside that's reflected inside out. I think that's what, what, uh, what Elkanah saw here in Hannah uh, back in verse 5. Uh, he says here that, that he, he, he gives a double portion uh, to her because of his love for her. And, and so he affirmed her and made her feel valued and, and, and worth something. So she, she had the confidence in her, in her confidence to speak outwardly because of, of that affirmation at home. So what's the takeaway I want to leave you with? It's this. It's to stop, ladies, stop letting this culture of perfection intimidate you and be the woman God designed for you to be. We are living in a culture that, that says you're supposed to be perfect at everything. And I want to tell you, that's straight out of hell. That's exactly where that comes from. Don't you believe it? It's a lie from the enemy. You're not, and you can't. So stop letting, allowing this culture of perfection to, to, to define you and tell you who you're supposed to be and start being the person God designed you to be. And he, he didn't design you to be this other lady down the street or the one you saw on the, on the, on the movie screen at the theater or the one you saw on your TV set or the one you see in the magazine. He didn't design you to be her. He designed you to be you. And if, so if we'll, if we'll stop this idea that I'm supposed to be perfect at everything, and if I'm not perfect at everything, then I'm somehow less of a woman than I was designed to be. No, you're not. You're, you're, you're exactly who God's designed for you to be, and you're not going to be perfect at everything. Accept that. Deal with it. Uh, you know, life stinks sometimes. You're not perfect. Uh, there are things about you that you're not going to like. There are things about me that I don't like. There are things about all of us we don't like. But I change that from the inside out, not from the outside in. What is that? How do we do that? How do I, how do I not look at this culture of perfection and allow it to define me? Here's how. I have to value the supernatural over the superficial. Until I can value the supernatural and value the God things in my life, the God relationships that I have, the God things that he's up to, the things that he's doing, the circumstances he's working out, until I can value the supernatural over the superficial, I'm going to always struggle with this culture of perfection and thinking I'm supposed to fit into it somehow and I'm supposed to mold myself into its image somehow. I've got to value the supernatural over the superficial. That's a hard thing for a woman to do. I get that. I understand it. But I understand where it comes from, and it comes from a pagan culture. And if we can turn our eyes off and turn our ears off to a pagan culture, we'll more clearly see the supernatural to take its root and find its place in our life as opposed to the superficial. I know that's a deep, difficult thing, but that's what he's called us to do, ladies. Um, now, Hannah let the inside come out. Why? Because God was at work on the inside, and she was totally unintimidated to let it come out. If you don't like the inside of you, it's going to find a hard, way, a hard place to get out. If you start to like what God's doing on the inside of you, what he's doing, the things he's sowing into your heart, the ways you're growing, the relationships that you're building, the root system that you're putting down, the faith that you're strengthening, if you start to like the things that God's in, doing in you, I'm going to encourage you to let them out. That's what she had the courage and conviction to stand in public in, an, in, in, a, in a situation that was totally un, culturally inappropriate and do. Why? Because God convicted her heart of her need to do so. And she was comfortable enough in who she was to do that. And she was convicted enough by it to be honest and say, you guys deal with it. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm being obedient to God today. Man, what an incredible model. 
that looks almost nothing like the women of our culture. Uh, vulnerability, not in our culture. Spiritual transparency, not in our culture. Persistent prayer, not, not even in a lot of churches, among a lot of church women. Uh, th- these are things that don't look like our culture, yet what a picture of, what a picture of what a godly woman looks like. And uh, ladies, I want to I encourage you that you'll never step over that threshold and get started in that direction until you lay the superficial down and pick the supernatural up. It's a hard pickup. I get it. But that's what he's called us to daily. And she got that. She understood it. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.